you're here today. And uh, I really appreciate that song that was sung just a few moments ago, I'd Rather Have Jesus. You know, that, that's just a wonderful, wonderful reminder of what we should have in our life in terms of our relationship with God, that we should rather have Jesus than anything, right? I mean, let's think about that. And uh, I used to love to hear uh, Ethel Waters sing also on Billy Graham's crusade, uh, His Eye is on the Sparrow, right? And I know he watches me. And so today, uh, it's a great privilege to be back with you here at Central Baptist. Uh, I'm thanking God for the opportunities that I have uh, serving the Lord after retirement. I did retire back in August of uh, 2020, and uh, God has given me some opportunities to preach his word, and it's great to be able to serve him uh, after serving 27 years at O'Galley First Baptist Church. And I'm thankful for the time that I spent there and the opportunity I have now to be able to, uh, to keep preaching the Word of God in retirement times. And so we've been looking through the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles today, I'd like to turn with me. That's uh, be a good passage to look to is chapter 2 today. We've been talking about our identity and believing that the Bible teaches us that we can be like Christ. That is our goal. And you should come away today believing that you can become more and more like Jesus every single day of your life. That should be your life goal. That should be my life goal, become more like Christ. And if you believe that should be your life goal, say amen. So I need you to help me out again today, okay? Because uh, if you just stand out there and look quiet and give me these stares, it's not going to help me at all in preaching the Word. So, but today, let's, look right, let's dive right in and look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For us to do. You know, as we look at this passage of Scripture, many of you are saying, well, I know a lot of these verses. I have heard these passages spoken about many, many times. And so, and I hope for you, it will be a good review. And I hope for you that it will be a good reminder of the grace that has been offered to you and given to you through the, the blood of Jesus Christ. But you, uh, today, though, I want us to focus on what God wants to do with you. What does God want to do with you? Have you ever thought about God's purpose for your life, what God wants to do in your life, what he wants to use you for in your life while you breathe air here on planet Earth? Well, I'll tell you, he wants to change you. That's the first thing he wants to do. He wants to change you through and through. He wants you to make you more and more like him through Jesus Christ. And when, he, when we come to God, we come as sinners who are empty, broken. Are, and, and we know that God forgives of our sins and he changes our lives and, cha and cleans us up 
He saves us from the penalty of hell. And the Bible tells us that we're destined, we're already condemned to hell. And that without Christ's salvation given to us, we know that we would be all sinners headed to hell. But God provides for us the gift of salvation. Two weeks from now, Brother Gary Gates will be with you, a former pastor, and I know you love him, and I've loved him over the years, and he'll be preaching with you on Easter Sunday. And you guys got to be already busy inviting others to come with you on Easter because I want you to know that people will come to church on Easter more than any other day of the year because even though they may not understand it all, they know it's an important day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a whole lot more than Easter bunnies, all right? It's a whole lot more than candy eggs. Now, it's a whole lot more because it is the day which culminates and, and, and is the foundation of all that we believe in, in terms of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us, through the death and burial of resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the, he begins the process of changing us. He begins the process of changing us, of making us like Jesus. We're reminded of what the book of Philippians tells us, as the Apostle Paul writes, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you all have an uncompleted project at your house? Anybody here? I don't know about you. I've got several. I look at them all the time going, I've got to get to that. You know, that, that round to it. You know, we, we all are guilty of that. And uh, I don't know about you, but my wife always has a little bit of list for me to take care of. And I'm pretty good about taking care of the list. But, you know, there's always things I want to get round to. And some things that I don't ever get round to are the things I don't like to do. One of the things I don't like to do is file. I don't like to file papers, you know, and, and you know, so my desk at home gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until finally I can't take it any longer, you know, so I finally get to take, take a few hours and I, I take the dining room table and I go around and, and I finally get it all together and I get it all filed away until I start that whole process again of making it go higher and higher and higher, you know. I should be doing it as I get it, but I don't do that. But see, a lot of us have uncompleted projects. And understand this, even though we've been completed in the blood of Christ, there's a lot of completion that is still in the process of our life that God wants to do. He began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until you become like Christ. Today we'll look closer at how God does that. Ephesians 2 contains the popular salvation verse. Many of you already know this by memory. For by grace you've been saved through faith. So today we'll see how this passage teaches us not only how to be saved, but how God is at work to change us through and through, remaking us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, there are three ways God is at work in your life to help you change. Let's take a look at each one of those. First of all, He wants you to bury the past in the past. He wants you to bury the past in the past. Now, I've been married for 47 years. Now, I know that some of you have been married longer than that, and some of you have been married less than that. And uh, so I, I was thankful I got married at 10, and uh, <laughs> no, but, but, but almost I was 18, we got married. And, and, but I know one thing is that one of the most guilty things that you can do in a marriage, in communication, is you get in an argument, you bring back, I remember when. Have you ever done that? You got in trouble, right? That's not good to do. You know, so, you know, and so we have to remember, he wants you to bury the past in the past. So that, that's the wonderful thing about the, the grace of God, that when he forgives us, he buries the past. 
He buries our sins in the depths of the sea. He promises to remember them no more. As far as the east is from the west, he promises us that he will not keep bringing them back up and reminding us of all of our sins and wrongdoings. Now, in the first few verses of Ephesians 2, Paul talks about a way of life that he assumes is ancient history for his readers. He makes that assumption. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And he continues in verse 3, All of us lived, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful natures and following its desires and thoughts. Now I want you to know something. As he wrote these words, Paul assumed that, that their old lifestyle was all in the past. He was making an assumption saying, you used to live that way. But as I speak to you today, however, I realize for some of you this may not be the case. In fact, everyone here today falls into one of three categories. One of three categories. First of all, those that have given their lives to Christ and have successfully left behind the old way of life successfully left it behind. You never brought, never did anything else wrong again. You know, you, you've, you're not continually in that same sinful pattern that you used to be in. You know, so you may be there. And then the second one, those who've given their lives to Christ but still struggle with their old way of life. You're still struggling with some of those sins. You're still struggling with your temper. You're still struggling, str struggling with lust. You're still struggling with financial prosperity and wanting money to be ahead of everything else. You, you have some struggles going on. And then the third one is those who haven't given their lives to Christ. And what Paul refers to as the old way of life is actually their current way of life. Now, if you're in group one and you're not struggling with sin any longer, hallelujah, you can coast through my first point here today. However, I have no doubt that groups two and three make up the majority of the people who are listening to me today. But it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want you to be chained to a sinful way of life. Now, we've watched on the TV uh, about the violence that happened and the murders that happened in Atlanta, about a young man who said that he was a believer, who was a member of a quote-unquote Southern Baptist church, and how, how, and then he went out and did these uh, shameful killings, and, and how awful that is, you know. And, uh, but he was chained to a sinful way of life. He was chained to a sinful way of life. And I want you to know that God wants to set us free from those sinful things in our lives. He wants to give you the power to overcome sin. He wants you to be able to bury the past forever. And that's what he wants to do in your life. So this begins, first of all, with a decision to follow Jesus. It involves saying, Lord, I want to turn my back on my old way of life, and I want to follow you, come into my life, and, and forgive me of my sins, and give me the strength to live for you. Now, I don't know about you, but I need God's strength every single day of my life to live the way that God wants me to live, to overcome those negative feelings, to overcome those feelings of hatred, to overcome that road rage. You ever have that road rage? Anybody ever had dealt with that? Well, I want you to know it's only through the power of Jesus Christ that I was able to overcome that. I used to, someone pull out in front of me and I would tailgate them, you know? So I know none of you have ever done that, but I, you know, or I would get angry, or I would say some, you know, angry words under my breath, you know, I, and, uh, 
And so God finally released me from that. And I no longer have that issue. Someone pull out from front of me now, and, and, uh, or I pull out in front of somebody else. They get angry at me. I just wave to them and smile. You know, and so I don't, that doesn't bother me. I was able to overcome that. I, you so I was able to give, God was able to give me strength to get through that. He can help you in every single area of your life, no matter what it is, whether it's something dealing with road rage or whether it's dealing with lust or whether it's dealing with uh, problems in terms of your thought processes or, or, or lust for th- things in this world. But it starts, you know, right there in your mind, giving your life totally to Christ. And if you haven't made that decision, you can do it today. And if you've already made that decision, you can renew it today. See, that's one thing that churches no longer do. It's not kind of been, you know, the thing that you do. When I started out in ministry, and, uh, and I remember we'd have revival services, which are not things that people do any longer, churches do any longer. But we would have an evangelist come in, and he would call people to renewal and repentance. And I remember one night having 38 people come forward to renew their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, there's nothing wrong for renewals. There's nothing wrong to come forward and, and say, hey, God, I want to get right with you, and I want to give you totally my life, and I want other people to know what I'm doing. I want other people, not that, that I can show off or let other people, you know, say, look at you, but, but I just want to, I want to be held accountable. I want to be held accountable. So you've already made the decision. You can renew your decision today to make Jesus Lord of every area of your life. That's the first step in breaking away from the past. Paul is aware of the power of the old way of life and that power that it could have on a person. Look again on what he says in verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Three words here. Three words in that verse. Cravings desires, thoughts. Cravings, desires, thoughts. Now, now he's not talking here about just craving a piece of grandma's apple pie. Not talking about that. He's not talking about craving, you know, going to your favorite restaurant. He's talking about the cravings which overtake your life. See, these words reveal the pyramid of power of the old way of life. For some of you, sin is not just an occasional slip-up. It's a constant, never-ending craving, one that leaves you completely powerless. And once that craving consumes you, there's nothing you can do to escape it. So maybe that craving is a temptation to explode in anger at your spouse or your children. You know, you come home and something's not right, you've had a bad day, and you see something that, that, that you didn't like or something that didn't get done, and next thing you know that you're yelling at your spouse or you're yelling at your children, you're not listening to them. See, that, that's where that craving is consuming you, and you're exploding in that temptation to, to, to have anger. Or maybe you drown your misery in alcohol or food, or commit some kind of sexual sin. Or maybe you're addicted to pornography. You spend too much money at the mall, or exploit a business situation, and take advantage of someone for your own selfish gain. You see what I'm saying here? The lure of the old way of life comes in dozens of forms and facets, but the result is always the same. It brings the stench of the past into the present and makes living a new life for Christ virtually impossible. So if you're trying to live a life for Christ, you're allowing all the old things of the past to creep back into your life. There's, it, today is a day for renewal. Today is a day to get right with God. 
How do you get rid of it? How do you bury the past in the past? Paul gives us a hint in this pyramid of power in verse 3. He says, our cravings are born out of our desires, and our desires are born out of our thoughts. And if you want power over sin, you have to attack the source of the stronghold, and that's your thoughts. Your thoughts. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought some merely mean things and not said them? Isn't that true? Have you ever thought about sinning and didn't sin? See, you know, we have, it starts right there. It, that's where it begins. It starts in your thoughts. So when you change about what you think about, now follow me closely here, when you change what you think about what you think about, you change your destiny. And here's what I mean. We have a tendency, we have a tendency in our lives to identify ourselves more with our sinful past than with our sanctified future. We think, I have no control over my temper. I remember having a deacon at the church I served in Delray Beach. And uh, he was a great guy. He would do about anything, you, you know, you, he, that the church needed around the facility or whatever. Uh, he owned a successful plumbing business. And, but you know, he, he was just pretty uh, uncouth with what he would say and the way he would say it. And I remember him saying one time, he said, well, that's how I am and that's just who I am. And if people don't like it, that's just too bad. And I remember thinking, no, that's not what God would want. God wants to change you. God wants you to make you into the person that you need to be. God wants you to make you into a person that is kind with your words, has learned how to use your words in such a way that will build people up. See, that's one of the whole reason the church exists. Let me, let me, let me share with you and regress just for a moment here. The church exists, the body of Christ, the called out ones, not just to occupy a geographical space here in Brevard County in Melbourne. You know, your church doesn't exist just to take up land space here. That's not the church. You're the church. You exist to edify Jesus. You exist to build up one another. You exist to encourage one another. You exist to encourage the body to do what God would have it to do. You see, and that's the wonderful thing about the church is that we're called together to be what God would have us to be, to reflect Jesus in our daily life. Now, sometimes you'll say, I, I'm, I have no control over my temper. I'm powerless over food. I'm basically a dishonest person, and on and on. And this may be true in the past, but Paul says, God wants you to bury the past in the past. What was true about you yesterday doesn't have to be true about you today. He wants to change you through and through. So in order for him to change you, you have to change the way you think. For example, when a situation arises that makes you want to blow your top, I want you to take these two steps. First of all, change what you think about. Change what you think about. Instead of dwelling on the situation, maybe dwell on a solution. Or dwell on a non-related subject that is more conducive to a peaceful mind. So change what you think about. And the second thing, change how you think about what you think about. Change how you think about what you think about. Now, you know, a lot of times we live a defeated life, don't we? we we're, we're defeated. Uh, anybody here ever been on a diet? You don't have to raise your hand. If you're an American, you've probably been on some type of diet, whether it's Nutrisystems or whether it's just, I'm not going to eat this food diet, <laughs> or whether it's Weight Watchers. I've been on Weight Watchers three times and, and lost a lot of weight each time. And, and, you know, and I want you to know that, and, and sometimes when I would mess up, and I would, I would go to the refrigerator and I'd eat what I shouldn't have eaten. 
I, when I go into a church function and everybody cooks well, because if you're a Baptist, you've got to learn how to cook well. You can't become part of a Baptist church. That's part of the requirement of the covenant. Uh, you know, got to cook well and eat well. But, and, and when I'd mess up, my mind would say, you screwed up, you've messed up, so why even try? Have you ever, ever done that? Ever messed up in your finances and said, well, I'm not even going to try? You messed up in your relationship and and you said the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time, and you said, well, I'm not even going to try. See, you need to change how you think about what you think about. Instead of thinking, this is the kind of thing that puts me over the edge, say to yourself, this is the kind of thing that used to put me over the edge, the very thing that Christ is changing in me. Just as he changed me many years ago about my driving habits, He's changed me in a lot of different ways in my life that I could become more and more like Christ. Now, I'm not there. I'm still trying to be, you know, but if you want to bury the past, you have to kill it first. And the only source of life the past has is in your thoughts. The only source of life the past has is in your thoughts. When you change what you think about, you change your destiny. This is why Paul said, look at verses 2 of, of chapter 12 of Romans. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is how God enables you to bury the past. This is how he changes you through and through. And God's second method for enacting change in your life is he wants you to come alive spiritually. Now I want to tell you something. I really enjoyed listening to you guys sing this morning. It was just a real blessing to me to hear you sing the, the first two hymns, uh, you know, the songs that you sang, the one by Chris Tomlin and the first one that we sang, and it was just a blessing to, to hear you sing, to, to listen to you sing the praise to God, because what that tells me is that you're desiring to connect with Christ. You're desiring to connect with Jesus. So being a Christian is more than turning over a new leaf. It's a process of beginning a new life, and that's why the Bible says it is being born again. The old way is like a living death. The sins that are part and parcel of that lifestyle point to one direction, and that's self. Sin is basically about pleasing yourself, doing what feels good for you at that moment. Whether it's physical gratification or emotional gratification, sin is about self-indulgence. You know it is. It's, it, that's where we start. That's what sin is. It's about self-indulgence. That's the old life. God wants to move you into a new realm of existence. He wants you to come alive spiritually. He wants, you to, he wants to infuse his life into your life, making it more meaningful than ever. Listen to what Paul says here in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Even when we're dead in transgressions. God wants to give you eternal life. And this is not just a quantity of life, as in living in heaven forever, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful as I'm getting older, as you know, I, I turned that 65 age and I started, you know, applied for my social security, and I'm going, okay, I mean, you know, who knows how many more years I have on this planet Earth, but you know, I felt really good when I got to go to lunch with uh, Charlie, and he told me he's in his 90s. I go, okay, there is hope, you know. And so as we think about that, you know, that it's not though just a quantity of life. It's not just about I'm going to live in heaven forever and ever with Jesus, with all the saints of the past and, 
meeting all my loved ones and my parents and the people that have gone on before me, you know, it's also about a quality of life. God's life is your life now. God's life is your life now. This is why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, and this is another verse that you know well, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives where? In me. See, that's what should be our desire every day of our life, that Christ lives in us, that we know that he's living within us because the way that we respond, the way we react, the way that we carry out the word of God, this is eternal life, Christ living in you. So when you decide to follow Christ, some things go on behind the scenes that you may not be aware of. Look what Paul says in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. In other words, when you choose to follow Christ and turn from your own way of life, God raised you up, giving life to your spirit, his life, and he put you in a special place in heaven with Jesus. Now this all went on behind the scenes, and in the world didn't see it take place, but it's just as real as today's sunrise. Now whether you've been a believer for 30 seconds or 30 years, listen closely to what I'm about to say because it contains a principle for changing your life. How do you get eternal life? Does it require a lot of good works? A few good works? One good work? The answer is zero good works. There's nothing you can do to make yourself come alive spiritually. God does it for you. Paul says specifically, look at verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works so that no one can boast. So what does it take then? It takes faith. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. It's faith that saves you. What kind of faith does it require? How much faith do I have to muster up in order to experience God's fullness in my life? Do I need huge faith? Do I only need a little bit of faith? The answer is you don't have to muster up any faith. That, too, is from God. And that's a cool thing to think about. Paul says, for it is by, God, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. In other words, God gives you the faith you need to live spiritually. There's a principle to cling to. Your life as a Christian is not the result of your good deeds or the result of your tremendous faith. It is the result of God's overwhelming grace experienced in your life. So God wants to change you through and through, but in order for him to do it, you must let go of the idea forever that this is something you can accomplish on your own. You'll never be the believer, you'll never be the Christian you need to be if you're going to try to accomplish it on your own. You must recognize that your life is at best a living death. Your only hope is to receive new life from him. This principle is the, law, you know, is the same no matter how long you've been a believer. No matter works, no matter faith can help you to earn your right to be placed in heaven. I want you to think for me, with me just for a moment this morning. I want you to think about, uh, imagine the heavenly realms right now. Just, just kind of a, maybe even close your eyes and imagine the heavenly realms as they appear at this moment. Imagine Jesus sitting on his throne. And, and seated with him is a group of Christians. And if you look closely, you'll see some of the saints. You'll see Peter and Paul, and you'll see some of the Old Testament saints of Moses and Elijah. And, 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 and you look at the superstars. And then all of a sudden, you look very, very closely, and you see some stumbling Christians as well. 
There you are in the midst of the heavenly realms with Jesus. And how did you get there? How did you get there? It's because of something you did, something you didn't do. No, it's, it's, you're there because he brought you there. He brought you there. You're alive spiritually because he made you alive spiritually. This life gives you a greater capacity for change than you ever had before. God changes you by making you into a brand new person. And this is what Paul meant when he said in verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So understand this. When you become a believer... You've been given new life. You're a new creature. You don't have to hold on to the past. You have to bury the past. God wants to change you through and through by burying the past and the past and helping you come alive spiritually. And the third thing I want you to notice today, he wants to custom design your future. He wants to custom design your future. Earlier I said that good works don't matter to God. Now let me clarify something. Don't don't send me a letter, okay? But they don't matter to God only in the sense that they aren't enough to save you. You can't work your way to heaven. Good works do matter for God for a different reason. He wants you to do good works to bring him glory. Paul says his purpose in saving you is in verse 7. In order that in in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, In Christ Jesus. In other words, he wants your life to be an example of the goodness of God. He wants your life to reflect all that God can do in a person's life. He wants your life to be like Jesus. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, For we are God's handiwork. Our other translation says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good good to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, you're saved with a purpose. And that purpose is to do the work that God has already has in mind for each and every one of you here today. Understand that. God has custom created a future for you. There are things that you can do, that only you can do, that will bring Him glory throughout all of the ages. I think about the church and how it's made up, and the Bible says that every one of us have an important part in the church, whether it's playing the piano or singing from the stage or passing out bulletins or going visiting the sick during the week or or whatever gift that God has given you, you know, in your life teaching or, or, or speaking or whatever it is. You know, every person has a unique place in the body of Christ. And the Bible is very clear to let us know that every person is equally as important as the next. The pastor isn't any more important than anyone else. We are just doing what God has called us to do. We're just doing the, the work that God has asked us to do, just like he's asked every one of you to find your purpose and your place of ministry. And whether it's rocking a baby in the nursery whether it's helping with the food preparation, bringing to people that maybe are needy or helpful or need help in the community, whatever God has gifted you or wants you to do in your life, understand that God has prepared in advance those things for you to do, and he wants you to do it in order to bring him glory. 
Paul used the phrase, we are his workmanship. He's saying you are or can be a sample of God's best work. You are God's masterpiece. He wants to use you to show his goodness to the world. My grandmother was an artist. Uh, I didn't know my grandmother very well because she died uh, of multiple sclerosis when I was about nine years old. And, uh, but I remember she gave me some art pieces, some, and she was Mormon, believe it or not, and, uh, but she gave me some beautiful poems that she would pen and write down and, and put them in, in beautiful handwriting on, with, with painting on, on, on parchments and on canvas. And, and uh, but I got thinking about artists. If an artist goes to an art show, and most of the time they only have room for about maybe 20 of their paintings. Now, they may have painted 100, but they only usually take their best. They don't take their worst. They don't take the ones they messed up on and set aside. So each time an artist goes to a show, he's careful to put his best work on display. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you want others to see what you're capable of doing, show them your best work. Put your best foot forward. Now, a lot of people don't know this about musicians, and, I, and let me help you with this just a moment. Uh, I, I have a music degree as well, but I, one thing I know about musicians is that they don't just walk up on stage and say, let's sing. And it, it doesn't happen that way. They think about what the message content is going to be. They prepare the, the, mess, you know, the, the, the songs and the hymns, and they practice, and they make sure they have the, all the transitions right. They make sure that, that all the introductions are the way they need to be. They, and it goes on and on and on because they're putting their best foot forward. When it comes to the service of the Lord, whether you're in music or preaching or whatever it is, you put your best foot forward. I have never stepped up in a pulpit without spending time trying to prepare and do my very best for the Lord. As I was preparing the message this week and, and doing my own PowerPoint, I'm not used to doing that because I used to have someone that did that for me uh, when I was at my church, and, and now I'm writing, doing my own PowerPoint and putting it up there, and so if it's bad, that's because I did it, but uh, I want you to know that you know, I, I'm doing the very best I can do. You see, that's what God desires of us. He desires of you to glorify Him by doing the very best that you can do and, you know, if you want to see what you're, you know, if you want others to see what you're capable of doing, show them your best work, put your best foot forward. God wants you to be his living example. He wants you to be the one through whom he can show the world his glory. Not only does he show us glory through the beauty of creation, he shows the world his glory through the recreation of your life through Jesus Christ. So when God looks at a human he doesn't only see someone whose sin needs to be forgiven. He sees more than that. He sees someone who needs to be changed through and through and through. And every person becomes God's project. It's not just that he forgives your sin. And after he forgives you, he begins the process of changing you. Paul says in Romans 8.29 that God's objective for us is that we become like Jesus. We saw that in the first chapter about that God desires for us to be more like Jesus. He wants to change you through and through. Paul also used the phrase, good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Prepared in advance for us to do. God has your future mapped out. He knows the steps he wants you to take. 
The steps and missteps that have brought you here today were known by God long ago. He planned them, or at least he planned around them. And when you're ready, you can begin living the future that God has designed for you. In doing so, you become his workmanship, his masterpiece, and in doing so, you become changed. God has big plans for you. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't know what he has to do in my life. I mean, I, who am I? I'm not anybody. I don't have any specific great talents or abilities. And, but I want you to know he wants to show the world the incompa- incomparable riches of his grace, and he believes that you're the one that he can use to do it. So never think that you're not important to God. Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, and we'll be, you know, be talking about that next week, I'm sure, but when he went to the cross, he went there because of you. As he was on the cross, as the hymn said, you were on his mind. I think about how much he loved me. That's how much God loves me. That's how much God loves you. And even when you fail, even when you fail, he doesn't stop believing you. Even when you fail, he doesn't give up on your future. God not only has plans, not only has plans for you, he has hope for you. High hopes. He believes that you can become like Jesus. And and he is sure of this because he knows that he has the power to change you through and through. And for this reason, he'll bury your past because he wants to change you. He'll give you a new life because he wants to change you. And he'll custom design your future because he wants the world to see the change that he has made. So if you're not a Christian today, receive the grace that God has given you. He gives you the faith even to believe. You don't even have to do that on your own. To believe that God loved you so much that Jesus died for your sins and was buried and rose again. To know that he loved you that much. And that free gift of salvation he has offered through the free gift of his grace. It's the unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, but God has offered it and he wants to give it to you. So whether you're here this morning or you're listening online, whether right now live or later today, If you haven't given your life to Christ, do so. And if you're a believer, will you seek to live your life in the center of his will and allow God to accomplish through you the good works he's designed for you? How will you live your life for Christ? Do you know what God wants you to do? I pray that you do. If you'll seek his will above everything else, You'll follow him with all your heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you. For the opportunity we had to just to spend time in your word today, I thank you, Lord, for Lord, the way that you work in our lives. And Father, I pray right now that if anyone that is listening today has not received Jesus, this will be a day in which they say, yes, Jesus, I will allow through the faith that you give me to accept the grace that you give me to believe that Jesus died for my sins and was buried and rose again, that my past would be forgiven and be buried, and that I would have hope of not only eternal life in heaven, but of abundant life here. And Lord, I pray for believers, Lord, that are here in this church, that maybe some have given up on their purpose, Lord, to follow you. Lord, I pray that there today be a day of renewal. Lord, I thank you for your grace. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be here at the front pew this morning. I'll just be standing there. If anybody wants to come and pray with me about anything, please feel free to do so.